0: Hello and welcome to the Adventure Film Podcast. This is a recorded discussion between me, Garen Ewing, and my brother, Murray Ewing, and we are talking about ten classic adventure films. This is the ninth one we're doing. The previous ones we've done have been King Kong, Man Who Would Be King, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Hidden Fortress, Lawrence of Arabia, Time Bandits, Lost Horizon, and Raiders of the Lost Ark was the last one. Um, So this one we're doing the 1935 version of Ryder Haggard's She. And the basic idea behind this was just sort of to look at 10 classic adventure films. They're sort of my... 10 of my favourite films... I didn't think in great detail about them. It's just, although they are sort of perennial favourites and and they are sort of recognised as classics uh, amongst quite a number of people, I think, it's fair to say. So we're looking at them and kind of using it as a basis to discuss adventure films and uh, the whole sort of, Think about what makes a really good adventure. So as I said, I'm Garen Ewing. Just to introduce myself quickly, I'm a comic artist and writer. I've got an adventure comic called The Rainbow Orchid, and my co-discussor of these films (laughs) is my brother Murray. Hello, I'm Murray. Um, I write fantasy, science
1: fiction, horror type stories, and I have a blog called Musings in which I sometimes discuss films like this.
0: So there, there will be spoilers. As with all these, we're discussing the film. Um, I mean, they're quite old films. You either seen them or know the stories. Especially with She, I think a lot of you will, if you're listening to this, probably know the story very well. So we should say it though. There will be spoilers. So, is this the first time you've seen the 1935 version of She? I think it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I must have seen. I've got vague memories of seeing the Hammer version with Ursula yes. Andress. Yes. I really wanted to see it again to um, just yeah. to compare it.
0: But I, I was thinking that. I've yeah. got, I, I mean, in my in my head with these things, I prepare greatly. I, I was I've also got some of the silent versions. I was going to watch those. I was going to watch mm. the Hammer version and be, <laughs> be full of facts. Uh, unfortunately, we're both quite busy with stuff. You never. Yeah. have. It's very difficult to find the time. Um, but you read the book as well? Yeah, also,
1: again, quite a long time ago, I mean, over ten years. Mm.
0: Yeah, I read the book. I mean, I think my, my introduction was the Hammer version, of course. Yeah. Um, what year was that? It was 60s, wasn't it? I mean,
1: mm.
0: I, I saw it on TV. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't around 16, 1966 or something. I'll have yeah. to double-check that. I seem to remember it was quite a big production
1: for them, even for them. You know, yeah. So well, Ursula so Andress,
0: now she had been in the Bond film, uh, oh, dr Doctor no. Doctor no by then yeah, so yeah. she was a major star so mm. similar with one million years bc they had they had some money and so they got yeah. like a welsh for that um, they had ursula andres for she
1: but that, i do seem to remember in that she or maybe it's king Solomon's minds i'm thinking <laughs> actually there was a long sequence of them crossing the desert which isn't the sort of thing you usually get with hammer <laughs> uh
0: yeah no that that is in that version of she yeah. I mean that that version is set just after World War One. Oh. Um, and it's got Peter Cushing as Holly.
1: Yeah.
0: It's got Bernard Cribbins oh, yes, as uh, yeah. I guess he's Job. And then I don't know the actor who plays Leo yeah. Vinci.
1: Some bland male lead. Yeah. I mean <laughs> they're in
0: they're in North Africa somewhere after the First World War and she actually appears in the city they're in. Leo Vinci gets kidnapped because one of her, her people recognize him as the person they're looking out for, you know, her lost mm. lover or whatever. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it for years and years, so I'm maybe getting this slightly wrong. But she I remember she appears in the room and I think then they travel to the city where she, where she's at, this sort of oh, right. there. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: Perhaps they felt they needed to get their star in quickly just to say
0: she is gonna appear I bet that's the reason, yeah. That yeah. must be the reason. Yes,
1: good money for us to dress.
0: I mean, but that's one of the good things about the story is it's called She it's yeah. when you, the book and. She doesn't appear for a little while, but of course, there's that great anticipation. Yeah, who is this she? Yeah. You know. So when you do things like that, sort of commercial decision to get your star, you lose something. Yes. By it, uh, yeah. anyway. Anyway, um, we're talking about the 1935 version. This was produced by RKO, who just two years previously had done King Kong, which was the first adventure film. Podcast was about that, yeah. and this was in the wake of the success of Kong. Right. Um, that's sort of revitalised uh, the sort of slightly fantasy adventure oh. thing.
1: It did have the same producer, didn't it, Marion C. Cooper?
0: Yes, yes, I and mean, Kong was his sort of baby, if you like. <laughs> um <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a difficult birth. <laughs> um, yes, there's a few people. So Ruth Rose, who, she was one of the screenwriters, she sort of reshaped the script of Kong into something that was, you know... Right, yeah. ...that became successful. Uh, that was her first job, I think. And then she is one of the screenwriters on She. Yeah. The music's by Max Steiner, mm. who we've had a few times. Well, he, he did the music for Kong. He did the music for The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And I, I, there was, I don't think he did the music for Lost Horizon. Was it Lost Horizon? He was the music uh, director oh, right. or something. Yeah. I, I hope I've remembered that correctly. So he's he's been uh, mm. uh, appearing, popping up in quite a few of these. yeah. There's a little fact I like about the music of this, and I'm pretty sure it's this film, was that I think the score to She was the first, I'm, um, this is really dodgily remembered, but I think it was the first recorded use of a Hammond organ. Oh, really? Well, when you say, oh, really, I've now got to double-check that, but yeah. I'm pretty sure I heard that yeah. fact um, on an interview or something yeah. about Max Steiner. Well, I'll put that in the blog just to yeah. check that out later. <laughs>
1: I suppose the thing to say to start off was, is the, uh, the novel was published in... Well, it was serialised first between October 1886 and January eighty seven. Then it was published as a novel in 1887. And I sort of associate it with, there was, that came out, she came out, and shortly after there was uh, The Strange Case of Dr Jekyll the Mr Hyde, and then there was Dracula, and it's sort of like, there's a really classic um, set of, you know, late Victorian thriller, horror type novels right. so. When fact, So were they all
0: out in 1887? No,
1: no, uh, uh, she was first. I think Dracula was, might have been 1897. Yes. And of course, H. G. Wells wrote uh, the Time Machine about them. So there was, you know, there's quite a chunk of really classic yeah. stories. In She is sort of like and Dracula. They both, you know, the very beginning of Dracula where he goes to a foreign country, goes into this castle where there's this powerful man, immortal. and he gets trapped by Yeah, mortal <laughs> man. Ish. You know,
0: they're quite similar, really. Yeah, I'd never thought of that. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, of course, Ryder Haggard was inspired by Treasure Island, oh. not for She, but he, he to write King Solomon's Minds. Mm i think on a train journey with his brother he was reading treasure island and i think he made a bet with his brother sort of, i can't remember who said you could and who said you couldn't but it uh-huh. was to write a story as exciting yeah. as treasure island and that mm. was resulted in king solomon's minds and i um i don't know what year that was but she was mm. um not long after that i guess yeah. And, of course, harks back to... Ryder Haggard was, um, had his formative years in Africa, so mm-hmm. that was the area he knew. Yeah. And sh- the book takes place in Africa. mm mm-hmm. Uh Well, this film adaptation, they've moved it to... The Arctic. Yeah, or... I mean, they, they, do they actually say the, the Arctic? Well, like, yeah,
1: they say... Um, Muscovy? Muscovy, that's it. Which, yeah, and they, the quite, North. I was quite impressed, but they, they do say, oh, Muscovy used to be, you know, Moscow... No, yeah. Muscovy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Russia, <laughs> Siberia yeah, all yeah. that lot
0: so they, they, but they're when they're like, there they actually they just refer to it as the north oh right but in articles and things I've read about it they say they're in the Arctic which yeah. I guess I don't know if that's the Arctic Circle or I yeah. uh, don't know my geography well enough to
1: in fact one thing that links I mean the next film we're going to do is The Golden Voyage of Sinbad mm. but another Sinbad film The Eye of the Tiger they go to Hyperborea which is the oh. Greek myth of a land far in the north where there's a ring of mountains and inside it is a a temperate region with a city of about. Ah, know, right, people. Right, so right, That seems
0: to be a myth that's around. Uh, is that been the around. land world of Conan as well? Did he use
1: Hyboria? Oh, close. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> One thing I thought about the Arctic. I was wondering, you know, why did they change it? I just wondered if it was partly to contrast it with Kong. I Since think if it was, it was in Africa, yeah. they might have. Even though that would be desert, the, the Hollywood version of Africa is jungles
0: with yes. Tarzan and so on. And I don't think it's just Kong. In the wake of Kong, there are a whole load of jungle films. Ah, right. Everyone started yeah, doing. Them. There's yeah. quite a few from that period, and I think although they wanted to do some sort of fantasy high adventure, I think mm. I think that you're probably right. That is the reason they didn't want more jungle. Yeah, um, they want to stand out from that. And it does actually suit it thematically because it's a frozen.
1: She- she is frozen.
0: Oh, yes. She's like an ice queen. She's yeah. frozen
1: in this period of time, you know.
0: It really suits it. It really fits very well. I don't mind the putting it in a different place at all. What else about this film? It was intended to be filmed in colour, Originally,
1: yeah, and
0: in fact, now I've seen this film quite a few times, right, right. and I, uh, I had it on DVD, just a simple British DVD, That's what I watched. which is what uh, I gave to you. Which is just, am I right? There's no extras; it's no. just black and white. Yeah, but because I like it so much, I decided to buy the better version from the states, which has got a colourised version on it, right. and the black and white, and some extras and a, com- yeah. um, a commentary, which I didn't listen for this. I wish I had time to. Um, it's Ray Harryhausen yeah. who's involved. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm I'm basically against colorization of films because yeah. it's not the original thing. I really actually love black and white films; they look yeah. nice. <laughs> um, the whole thing about them is, is part of the is is part of the joy of watching it for me, actually. Mm. But I thought, because I've seen it so many times, uh, I will watch the colorized version it. for this. And I didn't actually realise this film was intended to be in color. So the people who did the colorization, like Legend Productions they felt as though they were actually completing the original vision. Oh, right. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, still, I, it's not great. Wow. Uh, I, pref- I was watching it and thinking, oh, I prefer the black and white, actually. Yeah. Until it got to a scene which is the big dance song. Oh, right, I
1: thought you were going to say that. <laughs>
0: and, uh, I mean, it is, it is actually quite well done because it's mm. subtle. Yeah. Um, but her dress, uh, she's dress, is this lovely yellow-orange it just looks really stunning oh, i thought really? and so um it's not terrible by any means and i think i think sort of saying that um it was going to be originally in color yeah. then you know a lot of things you say well the director's original when he made the film he knew it was going to be in black and white you're playing with his intentions because yeah. he because he'll make certain decisions based on that whereas this director now who was director because there's two there's names two,
1: yeah
0: uh, irving pitchell and lansing holden
1: yeah
0: anyway director directors intended to do it in color so maybe maybe that's the reason but they didn't have the budget yeah uh, at the time
1: it'd be interesting though if there were some <laughs> reference materials from back then to know which colors they'd chosen yeah that would feel a bit more authentic yeah yeah exactly and obviously yeah. there's the posters are all in lovely colour so yeah. they might have got like see what colour her dress was from that yes.
0: instance. I think one thing that can be said is that there were very good intentions behind the colourisation. Mm. It's not like like I remember you, you can get when I bought used to buy Lauren Hardy films on uh. video, you could buy the black and white or the colourised version because yeah. I never bought the colourised I mean that what's the point in that yeah. but it's this you can see there was some intention behind yeah. it and uh, I think as I say Ray Harryhausen was involved so they got someone in who sort of loved the film yeah um, anyway so that's fine um, talking of directors I looked up a little about them and Irving Pitchell now he he directed I don't know if you know this The Most Dangerous Game oh right you watched that didn't
1: you I, I haven't even finished watching it because oh. it's, <laughs> it's part of Love Films you can watch it stream uh,
0: okay it's right. only like an hour long which makes me feel as though some, some of it's been cut you know but that was one of the precursors to king kong yeah it had Faye ray in it
1: and was the same had some, uh, shared a few actors i think the and same
0: shared some dinosaurs probably <laughs> some dinosaurs actually yeah. I, th- I think the sets and the dinosaurs were reused for king kong the carl that.
1: denham actor that's it you know
0: he's, oh. uh, and he also did a film that i remember watching and Enjoying was Destination Moon in 1950. Uh, Irving Pitchell directed that. That was quite. The other guy, Lansing Holden, Mm -hmm. he was one of the production illustrators on She. So I don't know there's not much information on what his role was.
1: I wonder if like he did the dance sequence or something. No, well, uh, no,
0: well, maybe directed it. Yeah, I don't mm. know. I don't think so. I think there is a name for the choreographers oh, nice. on that. Oh. So he was a product administrator, but one of the interesting things he was a World War One flying ace in in the first war, and he got the Distinguished Service Cross (DSC). Oh. Uh, he also won the Legion d'honneur in the fifth war in the nineteen twenties as a pilot. Oh. And then he went to Hollywood and got briefly involved in a few films and then he, he went back to the, the Air National Guard in New York and he was actually killed in a, a plane crash trying to land in bad weather in 1938. Wow. So he was really interesting, although at first I couldn't find any information about him yeah. from film, but he's, he's actually more famous as a, an air ace. <laughs> um, in fact, he's not linked on the Wikipedia article. Um, but there is a wikipedia article about him it's just that he's under lancing holden instead of lancing sea holden which is obviously his film name but the the main his hollywood bit is just a footnote almost
1: Mm. oh and another thing about this film is only because buster keaton had a print of this that we have this film yes apparently
0: Apparently he had one in his garage yeah um now she is played by helen gahagan yeah and she's very interesting because this was her only Hollywood film. Mm. And she went into politics, which is also interesting. Oh, but right. while <laughs> she was running for Congress, she tried to buy up all the prints of she because oh. she didn't think it would be good for her image to be associated with this woman who yeah. hands out the death penalty yeah, at, at the blink of an eye. Terror. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but she didn't succeed, luckily. Although I do wonder if that contributed to yes. the scarcity of the prints. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe she didn't. Maybe it was a thought. And she didn't actually do any, I don't know the details.
1: A bit like Randolph Hearst and um Orson Wells.
0: Oh uh, Susan, Susan Kane. Cain, oh yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting and well, we may as well go through the cast. So yeah, Helen Gagan plays she or Hasha Motep. And she used to be an opera star, I think. Ah right. Yeah. She certainly got that. that she sort was of stage stagey dignity. It was stage that <laughs> yeah. made her famous and, and this was her only film role. Right, mm. as I said, yeah. So, yeah, afterwards she got into politics and she was a Democratic congresswoman for California. And she, from 1945 to 51, she had an affair with Lyndon B. Johnson, who, (laughs) of course, later became President of the United States. (laughs) And she was up against Richard Nixon for the Senate in 1950. Really? Yeah. And Nixon and his crew did a smear campaign against her and called her the pink lady, um, because for her calling her a red and a commie... Oh, so put, right. ..she was pink down to her underwear, I think he said. And in return, <laughs> sort of, Helen Gahagan coined the term tricky dick,
1: <laughs> which, of course,
0: became very apt later yeah. in the Watergate uh, affair. Oh, and she lost against Nixon, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Returned to acting for a bit, but then supported John F. Kennedy against Nixon in 1960. Mm. Um, So she was, um, you know, a good democratic uh, congresswoman. Very, very interesting life. Apart from she, of course, which was uh, really just a small part of her career. Randolph Scott plays Leo Vinci. Yeah. He was mostly known for westerns. Yeah. But he's quite good in this, isn't he, I think? I mean, I mean, it's a difficult part. Yeah. Because you look at the Hammer one.
1: Yeah.
0: The the Leo Vinci role in that
1: mm. is
0: difficult. Even if you read the book, he's a bit wishy-washy. Right. It's Holly who's the interesting yeah. character. He's the one who's got character. But I think Randolph Scott does okay in this for the part.
1: Mm.
0: I think there are a few moments where
1: I felt... Maybe they are filming this quickly, but you know, they tripped over Probably. the dialogue a bit. Yeah. I wasn't completely convinced by the acting, generally. Maybe it was just...
0: It's difficult because, period. of course, it's the period is part of and, it.
1: You know, like compared to King Kong, where there's an awful lot of action and you're driven mm. along by the cinematic image, here a lot rested on what the characters say, their relationships, the ideas. I think part of that
0: does also come from the book. Yes. Overall, and the same with this film... For me, I watch it or when I read the, when I read the book, you think that was brilliant. But yeah. during it, there are bits you think oh, it's yes, a bit dull. Yeah, and yeah. In, sh- in the book, she has got some speeches that just go on forever, uh, <laughs> dull really.
1: Yeah.
0: But the overall effect afterwards, mm. you remember her. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's the same in this, I think. So anyway, yeah. Mm. Uh, and he also served in World War One. I. I just think this is interesting. You've got this generation of people. I th- I'd use this in in the rainbow orchid mm. it's set in the 1920s and i find it fascinating that here's a generation of people who yes. have lost people in world war one or survived world war one or gone through it
1: yeah
0: and uh, the other one nigel bruce who plays holly he served in the first world war and got 11 bullets in the leg <laughs> he was uh, <laughs> he was wounded and obviously that was the end of the war for him it's funny as soon as i
1: saw him i thought oh i bet he's played dr watson and he has. Oh, that's his famous role. <laughs> yeah.
0: We used to watch on a Sunday afternoon those Basil mm-hmm. Rathbone. Sherlock yeah, Holmes yeah. So I remember That's him. That's probably
1: as, it's at some point. I yeah. I remember so you thought
0: one. he looks? He bet he's played Watson without yeah. knowing that.
1: Yeah, it was probably a, a distant memory. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. that
0: moustache, that accent. Well, know. he I mean his Watson was quite bumbling and sort of yeah. a bit simple-minded, which was goes against the books, of course, and, and yeah. a lot Sherlock Holmes fans are not happy with that. Aye. But he was so strong in the role. He's so well known for it that. A lot of people think Watson is this bumbling idiot. Right, yeah. And it's all thanks to him, (laughs) or or it's his fault, if you like. Yeah. But uh, he... So, yeah, that was the Doctor Watson that that came later. Hmm. That was 1939 to forty six. so it was radio and film. Oh, right. And some interesting stuff about Nigel Bruce. Although she was intended to be in colour and wasn't, he was in the first Technicolor film, uh, which I think was the same year. Oh, right. A little bit earlier, so 1935. Yeah. And he was in the first 3D film, a (laughs) film called Buona Devil, which was 1952, and that kicked off the whole 3D, 1950s 3D craze in the
1: States.
0: (laughs) And this is a really tenuous link with another adventure film uh, that we've done. See if you get it. I think you will as soon as I say it. But he was in another 1935 film called The Man Who Broke the Bank at Monte Carlo. Do you know what film that connects with?
1: Uh, It's Treasure of the Sierra Madre? No, no, I thought you
0: might get it, actually. No. Uh, <laughs> it's um, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh,
1: really?
0: Do you remember the scene where... I th- oh, you know, now I'm going oh, to have to He, he sings, sings that. Yeah. And it yeah. echoes around the... Yeah, uh, yes,
1: yeah.
0: And, it's yeah, very tenuous link, but I quite like those sort of things. Yeah. Of course, the, him, the song was a 19th century song, and that film right. was was inspired by the song, not yeah. <laughs> not the other way around, of course, because that's the First World War, so it can't have been. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, and I think the last main actor was uh, the guy who played Bilali is Gustav von Seyfritz,
1: all right, German so,
0: actor, in case you didn't guess. Uh, what did you, you think of Bilali?
1: I thought, you know, looking, he had a really good combination of being this ancient Egyptian sort of high priest yeah. and an English butler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he sort of walks around sort of, She's told me to do this. He air of resignation, but he's going to do it anyway. He was. Oh, I thought she must good. be
0: a babe. Yeah. Do you know who he reminded me of? No, tell me. An English comedian. Oh. <laughs> Tommy Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. I got that. I go on that. No, I can't do a Tommy Cooper impression. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, she. She.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she must be a babe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he was. He played. He's got a Sherlock Holmes connection as well. And he played Moriarty ah, in 1922, yeah, silent film yes. uh, against um, John Barrymore, oh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's the. the and of course, there was Tanya as well. Oh, mustn't forget Tanya. Yes, she's. Oh, yes. Now, she's interesting because she's not in the book. Yeah. Although she's kind of substitute for Ustain or Ustani. I don't know yeah, how yeah. that's pronounced. Yes, they. i they pick her up <laughs> <laughs> um, in. She's with her father in the Arctic. Yeah. Um. Doug Moore. So I guess she's Tanya Moore. Yeah. She appeared in *Son of Kong* 1933, yeah. and later became a radio director and TV writer.
1: Oh, right.
0: quite interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um. So yes, she's um the sort of love interest apart from she. She's, she's quite good anti actually. she. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she, yes. So, that's quite a lot of background yeah. <laughs> to the film there. But it's in, that's one of the things that's very yeah. interesting about this film is the background, I think. Yeah. It's, um,
1: I mean, one thing that struck me on the straight away was the fact that you had English accents. Obviously, yes. you know, Haggard well, is an English author. Well, yeah.
0: English author. And this is an American film, thing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's quite funny when the American uh, Randolph Scott, Leo Vinci, appears. He's introduced and he comes in and says confound your English fog yeah (laughs) (laughs) to say and that lets us know that he's American and that we're in England yes (laughs) to set the scene
1: and it has been foggy today actually it it has been been very foggy
0: yes I'm a man of science I'm not superstitious if I were I might imagine that your resemblance to a man dead nearly 500 years is fate's way of showing me that you will find again what he discovered what is that sir the means of overcoming man's enemy man's enemy my enemy your enemy the enemy of all living things. Careful, John. That is what I mean, Leo. That is the swinging march of man's enemy. Time bringing death. Invisible, relentless death. So anyway, should we, we start there? Let's yeah. talk about the actual story. So it opens with John Vinci, who's yes. the uncle of Leo you know, Vinci. Yeah, yeah. uh, and He's a death store. He's dying.
1: Of radium poisoning. Radium
0: poisoning, yeah.
1: I also think it's quite interesting the way they update films and they bring in, like, the... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, radium... I came across this a while ago, so I looked it up again. For this radium was discovered really? in 1898 by Marie Curie. Oh, right. And it went yep. through a brief, well, I say brief, it was quite a while actually, where people believed that radium, because it was this new thing, Ooh. was wonderful. You know, everything, like you could buy radium toothpaste, oh, right. radium water. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, found, I found this product, there's a picture on the internet of this product called Radithor. <laughs> which was produced between eight, 1918 and 1928. Oh, wow. And it was a tonic. Right. Water plus radium. Oh, my God. And there was this bloke, <laughs> this American industrialist called Eben Byers, who drank it every day for four years. <laughs> and <laughs> He'd he, in the dark. And the, well, then <laughs> he basically had um, cancer of the jaw. Oh, my God. And died of it.
0: Oh, that's awful. And that
1: was pretty much the end of the radium craze. So
0: that was the thing, was it? The...
1: Yeah, so... Oh,
0: isn't it um, awful when you think yeah. of these things that... Uh, and, of course, uh, Marie Curie died of um, yeah. radiation.
1: But so we've got radiation. a bloke dying of radium poisoning. Mm. He's been only, drinking too much. Only no. seven
0: years after, yeah. you know,
1: so it was, it was
0: you know, something that was quite... In- now, of course, the reason he wasn't drinking, uh, what was it called? Radithor. Radithor. <laughs> <laughs> he had been trying to recreate the flame of eternal life. That, mm. now, I can't remember, even though I only saw the film... Yesterday. Yeah. Had he seen it, or is it just from the.? They've read about they've it. They've read about it. Yeah. So it's but, this unknown element, and they're trying to find out what that is. Yeah. And so his experiments with that and radiation have led to him yes. uh, d- dying, really. Dying.
1: Which is interesting, I suppose, actually, because, I mean, the, later on, the flame is linked to death, the death of she, isn't Yes, it? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Now, of course, his partner in these experiments is Horace Holly. Yeah. He's not ill, though, is he? <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just leaving the room um, while you do that experiment. <laughs> Back in a minute. Yeah. Uh, played by Nigel Bruce, as we said. And he's the narrator of the book in the book. Right. In the book, the setup is the John Vincy in this, the uncle who dies. Mm. In the book, he's Horace Holly's best friend, and he's dying, he's ill, and he's got a son who's, who's been sent away. Mm. Um, anyway, basically he dies um, after making Horace Holly promise to bring up his son, who I think is right. five years old to begin with. So, Horace Holly brings up Leo Vinci, mm. and on his either 18th or 21st birthday, they open this box that the father has bequeathed, said, don't open it until he's, I think it might be 21. And, of course, that's got the family history in it, ah. being their connection back to... I think
1: it's Roman times in the book, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It's because uh, the ancestor is an ancient Egyptian.
1: Oh, right. Okay. I think.
0: Uh, Callicrates. That's it, yes. And he falls in love with a woman whose name I can't remember because of they are, I think anyway but also in this triangle is uh, she or Asha as yeah. she actually that's her name in the yeah. book uh, or Aisha as the Hammer film says and that's, yeah, how spelled, that's how it's spelled it's, yeah. it's, it's actually explained in the book that you pronounce yeah there's it, a foot asher. there's a footnote it says yeah. asher yeah and i always remembered that and then i worked with a cleaner in at dunnings mill when i was a cleaner there <laughs> and there was an indian woman there called Aisha. Oh, right. and her husband called her Aisha. spelt the same oh, right. um, i'm pretty sure so anyway that's the background to that is ancient ancient egypt and i think asher kills Calicrates through mm. jealousy mm. Of his love with this other woman the other woman escapes She's pregnant with Calicratis child ah. to, I think, Greece. Right. And they grow up and come th- down through time. Yeah. And, and Asher is Arabic. She's an Arabic woman in that. Oh, right. In this one, she's called Hashemotep, which sounds Egyptian. Yeah. Although she's in the Arctic, but anyway. So that was 2,000 years ago. In this one, they only put it back to 500 years because the ancestor, also called John Vincy, is from the 1500s. Yes, yeah. Which is obviously... So that's when she dates f- from as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's only 500 years old in this film rather than 2,000 years. Yes. The, the good thing... It, well, the quite funny thing, I thought, in the book about being 2,000 years old, it's the same era as the birth of Christianity and Jesus Christ, mm. anyway... And um, to her in the book, Jesus says, oh, yeah, I heard about this up-and-coming prophet. Uh, what happened with him? You know? well,
1: she, she mentions him in the film, actually. Um, I know I she him mentions
0: Christianity. It's quite a, a funny line. She says, oh, oh yes, what would you do? You know, would you spare them? Oh, yes, you're a Christian. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm sure in the film she says that she remembers a man who showed mercy, taught mercy. Yeah,
0: but she's remembering it as as coming from a different culture 500 years ago rather than actually...
1: Right, yeah, Being not, a contemporary, yeah.
0: <laughs> as she is in the book. So, yes, anyway, John Vincy explains the background to mm. his heritage, and then di- he dies there then. Yes, I, I yeah. I presume he does. He goes, and that's the end.
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much that. It's a sort of a case of them having their cake and eating it, where he says... I'm a scientific man, so I'm not going to suggest that you are the reincarnation <laughs> of John Vinci, yes. but... Yes. <laughs> you know, so saying, you are and you aren't, because he looks yeah. exactly the same. I mean, he's basically asking him to fulfil the, the destiny. There's that great?
0: Of there's, the, there's the portrait on yes. the mantelpiece, <laughs> and he had, That's quite... I think that was intentionally funny. Yeah. He goes and stands over next to him, strikes the same pose and the same yeah. look. Um, that's quite funny. Yeah, well,
1: I suppose the point here is that they're, in, they're underlining the fact that they're trying to overcome death. And time. Mm. That's what he... Um, sorry, was it John Vinci? Yeah. Un- has been trying to do, mm. is to overcome <clears> death, and as a result, he's
0: yes. died, you
1: know. Yeah. But yeah. they talk about man's enemy being death.
0: Yeah, the time. Things. Yes. Yeah. Now, they I, c- I can't remember the details of the background, to be honest, but they, this, they say it's in sort of Muscovy, the, the yeah. north, um, sort of Siberia. Say, I don't know if that's the Arctic. And they need to get through this Shugal barrier. Yes. So off they go into the snows... And this is where we meet Tanya Mm -hmm. because they're they're going on their journey and they stop at this sort of hut in the middle of nowhere for for the night and they meet uh, Doug Moore and his daughter where's my food he says yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I guess he's sort of like a, a trader or something and he, he yeah. interfaces with the natives
0: yeah but we know right away he's not nice yeah and then of course the interesting thing is he's not interested oh you'll never get there I'm, I'm not getting you natives oh it's all legends you know, yeah. we haven't heard anything rather and then Tanya says oh I've heard it's not oh, until they produce yeah. the gold, yeah. Yes.
1: Which is interesting because in all these films so far, gold has cropped up as yeah. the thing that drives people yes. to go to the foreign country isn't it?
0: in a plot. But I must in, remember that
1: <laughs> in this one though, the main character is saying, "We're not after gold. Mm. This is just the thing that tells us, you know, that there's something there."
0: But the, well, of course, there's something that trumps gold: yes, eternal yeah. life. If, yeah. if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean. We should explain. They've got, in case you haven't seen it, and we're ruining it for you. They've got this little gold statuette of a, a woman, like a goddess, yeah. in some flames. Yeah. It's made out of gold. And when Dougmore sees this, he suddenly changes his tune. And, yeah, oh, I'll help you. Yes. Although, although he wants, um, as long as you cut me in with the gold, he says
1: we're partners. Yeah, it's not yeah. like he's going to be a, an employee.
0: <laughs> Shades of Treasure of Sierra Madre there, with mm. gold you know yes. reveals maybe not the true nature but certainly yeah. another side of Changes someone you know, <laughs> J- jekyll and hyde <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> comes through in this strange land we saw the flame and he who stands therein comes forth unharmed to triumph over death but john Vincy died there why if he found this uh, this flame because he was murdered um, so off they go towards this Shugal barrier, which is this great, you know, kind of like the Lost World. It's this mm-hmm. sheer thing that you can't get yeah. past. In the Lost World, of course, they they find a way up and they... In fact, that's another connection. They go across this log to get to it, don't they? Yeah. Onto the plateau. Yeah. I anyway, mean, this is, is different. But at the beginning they mentioned the tale of the servant of... Um, is he called... No, he's... I was going to say, is he called Calicrates? But he's not. It's called John Vinci. Yeah. Um, he defeats and fights a great beast. Yes. And uh, they find in ice, uh, ra- rather luckily, <laughs> in the ice, uh, this huge saber-toothed tiger, yeah, yeah, yeah. a giant saber-toothed tiger. I
1: was expecting at that point the ice to melt. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, isn't it in Ray Harryhausen's Eye of the Tiger? I mean, that has got a saber-toothed tiger in it, I think.
0: Yes, one of them has.
1: I wonder if Ray Harryhausen, who obviously likes this film, thought, I want to see that saber-toothed <laughs>
0: tiger fighting. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's see that fight, yeah. I mean, that is quite an exciting moment, yes. isn't it, when you see that locked in the ice and, and the dead servant. Dead servant, yeah,
1: yeah. And one thing at this point, also in the camp, I mean, generally about Tanya, we get to see she's very meek yeah she's bossed around by mm. her father mm. which i think is one of the important things that sets her opposite to she yeah she has had absolute power for so long she at one point says you know how dare you even think <laughs> what i don't want you to think <laughs> right. whereas um tanya is very meek yeah um so she's completely opposite of she uh, yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah that's a good point point. and the father that he sees i think is has the servant got a locket or something of gold
1: Yes. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. And so
0: he, again. No, there's a
1: bag of gold spilled, I think. Oh,
0: right. Okay. Gold coins. But anyway, he oh. tries to hack into it. They say, don't. Yeah. In yeah. fact, in fact they, they, they're they scared of an avalanche happening.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so they shout up to him, you fool, don't do it! Which is probably the good cool thing that caused the <laughs> avalanche, actually. Yeah. Anyway, so the rocks come down, and the whole camp is, is yeah. covered. Apart from our
1: heroes. Yeah, we are luckily survive. hiding
0: under a yeah. thing.
1: Not only that, but a way is opened.
0: Yes, into the, uh, <laughs> exactly. Into caves, which are sort of warmed by, I don't know, volcanic... Yeah, and yeah, and this is where it starts to get, you think, ooh, secret, hidden, lovely stuff. Yes. <laughs> so they go through this sort of volcanic, bubbly stuff, and they meet, is it the Almahagger? Uh, anyway, these natives. Yeah. Uh, this is odd, because... <laughs> Ryder Haggard had some continuity to his sort of background. He knew things about Africa and
1: mm.
0: Arabian history and the goddesses and stuff, and it all kind of works to some degree. It makes sense. But here, suddenly, we're in the Arctic, let's say. I think that's where we are. Volcanic stuff, fine. That's mm. fine. But then these... What looked to me... I mean, they kind of resemble like Incas. I mean, South American, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever Olmecs or something. Not that it really matters, but I suppose they're, they're an ancient lost civilization. But
1: yeah, it's almost like Hollywood shorthand for natives. You know. Yeah,
0: it's just an odd place to find. I mean, I, I, as I say, I don't mind the um, the moving it to yeah. the cold north, but. Yeah. It should then be consistent to some degree, anyway. anyway, It doesn't really matter. But they've kept in the hot potting.
1: Was that from the book? Yeah. Because I'm looking at it thinking that's a very inventive way of killing someone. (laughs) It is. You you don't usually... And, in fact, quite gruesome.
0: Yeah, so they've got this custom of hot potting, which means heating up an iron cauldron... Yeah. ...that they then put on the head of their victim. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, But, yeah, that's in the book. Mm. Um, Holly is all the while saying... Oh look at this! This, this is obviously a <laughs> yeah, ritual of greeting, <laughs> yes. and they
1: say you come on close to the fire as so you yeah. go along the fire, and of course, Leo and Tanya back off.
0: <laughs> um, in the book, uh, this is where they meet Ustane uh, or Stani. I can't res- decide which one to say. <laughs> which one do I prefer? Um, Ustani, Ustane. Anyway, yeah. and she claims Leo Vincy for her yeah. husband. Right. Uh, but this doesn't happen here, of course, because there is no Ustane and. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they have a fight mm-hmm. and when they realise what's going to happen and then Tommy Cooper, I mean, Bellagio <laughs> arrives. <laughs> Bellagio arrives.
1: Yeah. Just when they're losing in fact, isn't it?
0: I guess so, it's yeah. It's one of those
1: rescues from the jaws of death moments. Yes, violence. yeah. And he conveniently speaks English. It, yeah, that that was,
0: yeah, he doesn't resolve that straight away yeah. because Tanya does this dumb show for him. He badly injured, <laughs> he need your <laughs> She's doing all the <laughs> hand-waving Yeah, and then he goes, uh it's a man's Tommy Cooper joke I know and it, it doesn't, doesn't work it doesn't good here because it's visual <laughs> as you can tell it's hilarious um, yes anyway and they go through King Kong's gates oh you know I missed that even though they're uh, you know, in the film I, yeah. I didn't actually notice it no while they're on the way from
1: the oh. area of the natives so it's, yeah. it's only very brief but yeah, there's quite a big moment where they bong a gong or something, and then the gates open and they All go right. through it. Yes, yeah, of course. It's almost like you wouldn't need that scene, except they just happen to have these gates lying around. Well, it's dramatic, I, I <laughs> yeah. guess. And
0: also, no, I don't know, It's it's you're entering somewhere, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And, and then you see the valley...
1: Yes, that's right. And yeah. there is there's a mountain in the fantastically middle. Fantastically done, isn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah, it's really. I mean, long. that's another moment that reminded
1: me of uh, Simba and the Eye of the Tiger, because there they go into this ring of mountains, and there's a, a pyramid in, right in the middle. going to have mountain. to watch that again because yeah. I can't remember that. Uh,
0: it reminded me of more recently of the Mummy Returns, maybe. Oh right, <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> Where they go in this mountain in the middle? Uh, and also, is it Indiana Jones? I was the, about to say, yeah, the they got a similar skull, thing there as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I th- so this is the lost city of Kor. Yes. Now, can you remember? Do they say anything? Do you learn anything about that? Like, is that her city or I can't remember. I mean, in the book, it's an even more ancient city. Right. And Asha, she uh, lives there, but it's on the it's a dead civilization before that. Oh, right. I mean, this is that's part of the great thing in the book is now I can't remember they all died. There was some I think there was some pestilence, and it killed off the the civilization. Oh right. And. There's the rich ones, there's burial chambers in Cor, and she takes yes. Holly to see them. It's, it's very well done, actually. You see, like, a mother, and she's embalmed, with her baby, who's Ooh. also dead. And there's, there's I think there's a, a woman who stabbed herself or something, you can see, because her lover died. I might be getting that slightly wrong, but it's something like that. Mm. And then the poorer people were just shoved into this pit, so there's this huge pit of the dead, mm. of Cor, and um, during the latest sort of mad dance scene, mm. they use the bodies as torches. Oh, <laughs> they actually light light mm. the bodies, and it's yeah. macabre. Which the Egyptians
1: it's... did with mummy bodies. Oh, right, mummy's okay. okay. bodies. Yeah. Well, there you go.
0: That's haggard for you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> In fact, well, that just makes me think of the thing that I most remember from uh, King Solomon's Mines, which is where they they go into this um, into cave the caves, and yeah. there's. I can't remember it now. There's this great big There's, there's a, a giant skeleton, skeleton. Yeah, which is almost welded to the table. Through. Yeah,
0: through, through the, the yeah, yeah. stalactites and stalagmites. The, it seems
1: obvious that Haggard had quite a powerful imagination when it came to images of ancient death. Yes, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the sort of... Uh, Kings Solomon's Minds I love because it's... It's basically just a sort of African adventure. Yeah. Something that perhaps Willard Price would write. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's quality stuff. Mm. It's great. And there's actually very little, quote, fantasy in it. Yeah. The, but that's one of the points that, you know, the giant skeleton, it's yeah. not explained. Yeah. And that's brilliant because it's not. Yeah. It's just left as this, I don't think it's explained, it's a long no. answer, really. And I like that in She as well. It's a backdrop to the story. Yeah.
1: It's a real feeling of time. Yeah. Know, ancient. Yeah, and you don't quite get
0: that in this film. Mm. Um, so as I say I don't know if it's explained um, my memory's that bad I only watched it yesterday yeah. and um, I don't know what core is I mean it's obviously the ancient civilization but the thing I love most about this film apart from I do like the story yeah. um, is the design I mean yeah. just, we've talked about this on Lost Horizon mm. which also had a lovely art deco design to its lost world
1: yeah.
0: this has got it uh, even better I think mm. it's just Beautiful to look at. It's absolutely marvellous, and the costumes are yeah. fantastic. The Hall of Kings which you see later, um and I was convinced. I really love an artist called Kai Nielsen. Mm-hmm. Who I think was he Danish or Norwegian? I think Norwegian. Oh, so Danish. <laughs> oh, he might be Danish. Yeah, I can't remember. One of those lots. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when I saw the throne in and the statues in the Hall of Kings. I thought that's that throne's got to be Kai Nielsen. Oh. And then I thought later I thought I mean the statues as well because he did some sketches concept sketches for Disney's Fantasia oh,
1: right. that I
0: thought looked really similar.
1: Yeah.
0: Um the mountain scene. Um, Night
1: on Bear Mountain. Yeah, I
0: think it's it, I think it might be that.
1: Mm.
0: Anyway, so I I typed into a, um Internet Movie Database confidently expecting yeah as, as I'm being very yeah. clever and of course his name isn't there at yeah, all. Right. The designer of the throne is someone called I'm skipping ahead here, but yeah. it's called Alex Hall, and I can't find anything else about him apart from he was the art director on the first sound version of an Italian opera filmed in 1931. Wow. And then also, he was one of the illustrators who, I think, according to IMDb, designed The Throne. Oh, <laughs> <Right, right. laughs> um, I mean, that's that era. Kai Nielsen is of that era. Yeah. It's that Art Deco, lovely yeah. curves and stuff. Um, so um, well, There
1: is a link with Disney, though. Do you yeah. know about this? Yes. It's the Wikipedia fact. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's probably it's probably what the film is most famous for now amongst people who aren't into She and
1: stuff. Right, yeah. The fact that the design for Disney's uh, queen, evil queen in Snow White, mm. came from one of um, the scenes of She with a you know, black costume and a quite pointy crown. They
0: made it purple in the colourisation, which actually looks quite good. Oh, yeah, I right. think she's purple in me yeah maybe, maybe they chose purple because yeah. uh, of the queen in snow white yeah but yeah it's ex- almost exactly the mm. same and mm. i haven't compared the two by two but yeah the so snow white was 37 yes wow. but yeah the inspiration definitely yeah. There can't be much doubt <laughs>
1: yeah. and one of the things about she i think in the book is that she wears grave cerements or something doesn't she i mean when we see her first here she's got a mm. sort of a veil. body veil on you know? yeah
0: well in the um, book she's completely veiled and you right. don't see her at all i mean in the film you see her face behind the veil yeah i mean this is one thing that a book can do and a film could never do in the book she is so stunning yeah there's such aura about her oh, right. it almost destroys a man to see her right. you fall hopelessly in love with her you know no matter how strong willed you are
1: yeah
0: your heart is yeah. totally suddenly devoted to her just From her beauty, Uh her hair, the way she looks, her white skin. Um, I mean, that's another point about this film, which was yeah, the white, the white queen. <laughs> yeah. um, but you can never do that in a film because you've suddenly got to choose an, a real person.
1: Yeah.
0: And <laughs> Helen Gahagan is of her time, yeah. a beauty of her time. Yeah. Probably most people wouldn't say she's a beauty now. Mm. I think she's got a kind of... Um, what was the sort of Rosetti...
1: Pre-Raphaelite.
0: Pre-Raphaelite. She's got a slight pre-Raphaelite look to her with the yes. nose. and yeah. And she is... She's strong-looking. Mm. She does have that. I mean, I, for instance... MX The Hammer version, I think Ursula Andrus is more beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: So, to a modern audience, and perhaps is more. When I read the book, I think I've got Ursula Andress in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, the best thing is to have no one in mind. Yes. supposed to come from the book. Um, but I saw the film first. And so, yeah, that's one thing. Although Holly doesn't fall in love with her in this, he does in the book. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Leo Vinci isn't necessarily bowled over by her yes. necessarily. So, that's fine. You don't really have that.
1: And, of course, when she, when she first appears, Leo's still ill. Yes. Um, Holly asks who she is, and she has this wonderful speech. But who are you? I am yesterday, and today and tomorrow. I am sorrow and longing and hope unfulfilled. I am Hasha Motet, she, she who must be obeyed. I am...
0: Which is quite like her speech in the book. She's quite Mm. quite um, purple (laughs) prose.
1: (laughs) Well, I suppose it it befits her role as a queen and basically as a sort of goddess. Yes, and also her age.
0: And of course, she speaks English in this. I mean, maybe that's that's okay because she's only five hundred years old. In the book, Holly luckily knows. I think it's ancient Greek. I don't think it's Arabic. I think it's ancient Greek that they uh, both speak. Uh,
1: right.
0: <laughs> of course, luckily, Ryder has translated it for us into English. <laughs> the, the other thing is she emerges from this wall of smoke, which is quite... Mm. That's, I mean, that, that's, again, the design, really, is fantastic. Yeah.
1: Um, and that's another thing about like the veil she wears. It's almost like she's carrying this smoke around with her, you
0: know. Yes. I mean, so in the, in the book, well, she has to be veiled. Mm. Um, it's part of her power. No, whereas this is not quite the same no. sort of thing. It's, I mean, but, it looks good. Yeah, and it also
1: <laughs> does allow you to have a moment of unveiling, you know. Yeah, you sure. First yeah. See well, I suppose the plot point here is we learn that she is waiting for... She's convinced that the reincarnation of her lost love, John, John Vincy is going to come back to her. And at first she, she's told some people have arrived and she gets to see um, Holly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the book, yeah. uh, right at the beginning... Uh, Holly is he actually marked out as ugly right in fact he's only ever had one romantic liaison with a woman who when he lost his fortune left him because that's all she's interested <laughs> in he's so ugly Bilali calls him I think monkey no it's not monkey is it monkey baboon Orangutan or baboon? I think it might be baboon. It's baboon. Right. Um, yeah, because he, he's ugly.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And so he knows he could never have she, but he falls in love with her as well. Yeah. Now, of course, Nigel Bruce isn't yeah. ugly in this.
1: So <laughs> then she is angry that they haven't brought the sick Leo in front of her, just so she can have a look at him. And then, of course, she immediately realises that this straight is straight away, yeah, John Vinci yeah. returned. Um, yes.
0: We've um, sort of got the... In this group, you've got your classic setup of adventurers, I think. You've got Leo Vinci as the heroic sort of chin. <laughs> you've got the wise man, which is Holly. Right. The sort of mentor.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you've got the girl, yeah. which is yeah, Tanya, mm-hmm. the sort of love interest, the girl. I mean, she, says she can get into peril. The hero can yeah. uh, foolishly leap in. <laughs> um, the wise man fears to tread, of course, <laughs> and is able to sort of counsel from the sidelines and provide the knowledge and um and for the whole thing about these lost world things as well you've sort of got then you've got the enemy and that that's mm. we've talked about that being the environment yeah the sort of natives yeah. of, of these lands ah. and also some greater power yeah and they those seem to be the elements of, of all these and it's here you know very easily uh, delineated yeah. and laid out for us there but it's an eternal thread almost yeah. but it works yeah and um, yeah they can, they can be in different forms but I think it's very bare here and I quite like it yeah for that. it's very
1: explicit I and mean, another thing that I didn't expect to find in any of these adventure films and which has sort of emerged without talking about them is where people go to you know these these places where they adventure <laughs> with Dreams, usually unrealistic mm. dreams, they get there and there's almost like a backlash from the unrealism of their dreams. Yeah. The more they're expecting to become gods and kings, the more yes. they get
0: beaten back. It's, yeah. it's, it's very British, actually. It's don't get, you know, we'll support you, but don't get too high on your high horse. Yes. Because um, look what happens. Yeah. <laughs> do you think I'm cruel for the sake of cruelty? Then why do you torture? How do you think I rule these people? It's
1: not by force. By terror. My empire
0: is of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, let's rush through a bit more of the plot here because well, we've talked a lot about the background. But the, a lot of the uh, conflict here comes from Tanya wanting yeah. to know uh, that Leo Vinci's OK and she, uh, of course, wants Leo Vinci for herself, doesn't yeah. want Tanya involved. And the highlight of the film is the dance scene Yeah, where Natanya's unknown to her, has holly's going to be sacrificed yes she's hidden with a, a veil of her yeah. up, so they don't know it's her yeah but before that they have this dance scene mm. uh, it was really impressive yeah um the choreography the costumes the set this is the hall of kings scene
1: yeah
0: uh it's just amazing
1: yeah in fact <laughs> i was amazed i look. it goes on for more than five minutes right but you don't
0: feel that it's a real set scene isn't yeah. it
1: um I mean, if you think about comparing this to King Kong, King Kong had a lot of spectacle. Yeah. And this doesn't. But this this one seeing the dance... I mean, I don't particularly care for dance.
0: No. But
1: <laughs> I was impressed by it, you know. It's good. It's well done. Mm. Um, it's there, there, there is one moment where something doesn't work. I don't know if you noticed that. Yes, I, I yeah. think I know what you're going
0: to say. The lighting <laughs> of the...
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a, the sort of high priest goes to the pit of the flame lowers <laughs> down a torch in fact they lower a man down into the pit yes he lights a torch comes up and they take this flame and two streams of people holding these orbs. orbs or something go to light theirs from the flame and the first person on the right <laughs> passes by the flame he doesn't light and she goes back she, sort of she turns back and then she, she realizes oh, i'll better not do that keep going yeah yes, so it stands was, out if she didn't do that turn back yeah. no one would have noticed no but, uh, yeah. but it's a
0: natural reaction yeah. they left it in but anyway, it doesn't ruin it no, <laughs> no. Um, and there's even a sort of uh, zigfeld follies moment where you look is it is it they're looking up at the pit yes. from the pit and there's this sort of
1: all the arms they're, they're sort of moving the arms and it's all like geometrical shape That's made right. out of these that was
0: zigfeld wasn't it that that dance, the yes. 1930s. I, I should have looked Berkeley. up. I should have looked. Oh, that's it, Busby Berkeley. That's yeah. who I meant, not Ziegfeld
1: Which, of course, we mentioned again in um, not raised the last night, but uh, Temple of Doom, because that had a similar dance sequence right Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's
0: true. Yeah, not. Yeah, it wasn't Ziegfeld It was it was Busby, and that, which I think was the 30s. I should have checked. Yeah, which was first? I, I guess he was because he was probably doing it in the 20s. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Leo Vinci realizes it's Tanya and leaps to rescue. And that again, I think, is a very well. That's very exciting suddenly. Mm. You said like Kong has got all this action Mm. and this doesn't have that much there are Mm. moments of action, there's the fight with the um, Yamahaga natives. I uh, com- compare the, their dance around the hot pot with this one oh, it's yeah, quite good because yeah. they've got this uh, kind of there's probably just a hollywood book of native dance that's one <laughs> dance and all natives have to do this yeah. can you do the native dance the hollywood native dance yeah right you're in <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's quite simple and quite funny in a way yeah. um but the, and then contrast with this dance which is is actually mm. someone with talent is doing that yes yeah um uh, I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs> Talking about the moment Oh, the action. Yeah. yeah. Because there's not so much, uh, it's not better at all. I mean, Kong's an amazing film, but yeah. it, it's, not, it's not worse, is it? No. It's, it stands out. I mean, yeah. see, so you've got this dance scene. It's amazing because it sits there in the middle, but it's because it's the contrast. You need that other stuff to make this, and the rescue scene where it suddenly all takes off. Mm. It's just wonderful. I mean, the other thing, just while we're still in the Hall of Kings, going back a bit, the guy who was lowered down into the pit also swings across the hall. Yes. Shows how massive it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like, there's some matte painting yeah. there that's got to be for the height, but still brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, they make their escape and they go into these caves. Oh, there's a scene where he, Leo Vinci pushes down some fire on the...
1: yeah. And that looks
0: genuinely dangerous. Yeah,
1: I some, there's a bloke at the front in robes who gets... He catches light, yeah, and, and I presume
0: that was all supposed to be... Definite fire, yeah, yeah. flame stumps going yeah, on there. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what kind of protection they had in those days. Mm. I mean, now we know that you can do that and yeah. stand there for ten minutes or <laughs> completely ablaze. Um, I guess maybe they did then. Yeah. <laughs> there seems to be filming on stairs, because same with Hidden Fortress... Yes. That, that's another scene where I was on the edge of my seat thinking, God, I hope they're... It, <laughs> it looks genuinely... where well, they're all rushing down the steps.
1: Yeah. It looks
0: genuinely dangerous. But they go into these caves, and there's this another great scene where they have to leap across... Yeah. ...onto this rock, which is it's like a pendulum. Teetering. Yeah. And when people fall, you can see... I think it's quite well done, even though you can see it they fall into the map painting bit mm. and then they're animated
1: Oh right. did you not notice no, no, no. maybe it's not
0: yeah. that obvious but they I mean, it's, it is actually very seamless yeah. it, there's just something about the characteristic of the person changing mm, it's brilliantly done they fall I think it's very smooth they're animated for the you can see where they turn into animation is obviously where the set turns into right, the yeah, map the painting.
1: painting yeah it's an excellent <clears throat> setup because it's just like, you know at some point that this teetering rock is going to fall. Yeah. But they keep it there for quite a long time, the fights where the heroes <laughs> get close to the edge, and then the bi- yes. the, uh, the, uh, the guards or whoever
0: they are fall over. Mm. You know, you
1: think, it's going to fall at some point, and it takes a while to do it, but all the time
0: you're sitting there thinking, oh, God. And I've in been- fact, is when all the guards, there's a number of them have leapt over... So oh. when they 're at their most dangerous it 's also their downfall, literally yes. <laughs> because there 's too many of them for the rock, yeah. and that 's all filmed in long shot there 's no yes. close up or anything it 's all from a long shot, so you can see the height. Mm it's just the camera sits there and we watch it happen and yeah. it's great you don't need to have camera angles zooming in and stuff I'm, I'm advocating that because that's also my comic strip style it's quite sort of a bit like Chaplin as well you sort of put the camera there and then let the action happen in front of yeah. it left to right um, which it, I think it works now that is from the book in a way because in the book she takes Job who isn't in this mm. in the film It's just like a manservant. servant isn't yeah, yeah. Um, Job an hysterical manservant. although it's well, quite funny when he keeps thinking he's going to get hot potted um, <laughs> Job Holly and Leo Vinci and she go off on this trek yeah. to the flame and they go into this dangerous sort of cave system I think and she makes them take a Job has to carry this plank and that's yes. what that's for. They've got to go over this rock. Yeah. They lose the plank, so getting back is the exciting jump over it.
1: Right. Anyway,
0: yeah. so that they do use that from the book, although it's indifferent. And then they make their way to the temple where this flame is. Yeah. She is already there, and I love this bit. She goes, just by way, just for us audience, she goes, Ah, oh, you came the dangerous way. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> but did you see the design of the temple? Mm. It's like um, something out of. Um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari
1: yeah very expressionist German
0: expressionist type <laughs> yeah. stuff crazy angles and stuff it's brilliant Yeah. Uh, so this is the flame of life which thereafter is in this temple and this is pretty much the same as the book she wants yeah. Vincy to step into it to become
1: immortal like she is yes yeah, so they can and together. but
0: he won't so she says well if I prove it's okay yeah. and this is the big, the big spoiler <laughs> yeah. of course she does and, and ages yeah. so stepping into it the second time mm. you can't You can't do, obviously. Yeah,
1: she she basically ages. She catches up (coughs) with herself in time. (laughs) Yeah,
0: in in the book, I think Haggard says she becomes this sort of tiny monkey. Uh Oh, yeah, pretty much. So wizened. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: Actually, there's a bit before the dance sequence actually,
1: which is which I wouldn't mind talking about because it links to the other films, like in the man who would be king. You've got contracts, you know the adventures form a contract, and it's when it's broken that things become dangerous. Here we know that Leo and Holly went out to find the flame yeah basically they they it wasn't there was no suggestion that only one of them was going to go into it or whatever, right, but there is a point here where Leo says. She has offered me oh, yes. immortality.
0: Yeah,
1: only for me though. Yeah. And
0: Holly says, "Well, you're a fool, you know." Yeah, so there is a bit. Yeah, so it's almost uh, like that that's point. Right. That
1: the the contract has been broken. Yeah, and of course that's when he he basically when Leo says to Tanya, "You know, I prefer." He's basically saying, "I prefer she to you," because she's offering me immortality. And yeah. Tanya gets the point to say, "You know, you're going to live forever." in a tomb, basically. Yes. You know, you're never going to know what it's like to die. You're basically never going to know what it's like to really love a human being, you know.
0: There's a great bit of dialogue as well, which just made me laugh, where uh, Holly says to Tanya, Tanya, you're seeing something that no one has ever seen before. Aren't you interested? She goes, no! <laughs> 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 it's the way she says no. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, of course, Tanya getting sacrificed has echoes with Kong as well. Yes. Um very much so, where, where of course, Faye mm. Ray is, yeah. is about to be sacrificed, well, well given to Kong anyway. Well,
1: it's almost like, if you think of King Kong mm. as the masculine version, this is the feminine version, Yeah. <laughs> yes. King Kong is a very masculine monster, yeah. and he's strong, yeah. she is a, like the ultimate feminine monster, where she's so attractive that she's perilous.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting, mm. I mean, you said that about Kong, actually, the sort oh, of right. masculine side of it, I think mm. you did, anyway, um, yeah. and... Of course, she. The book is very interesting, and loads has been written and analysed about, you know, Haggard's relationship with women. I, th- mm. I, I haven't checked this, but I think I read a biography of him once where I may have got this wrong. But he had a doll or something who was called. Yeah, there was a
1: rag doll. She, she
0: who is, must be obeyed. Yeah. Um,
1: Apparently, his his nurse or his nanny. Yeah. Used to terrify him with it. Right. That's her way of getting him to uh, you know do whatever he had to do, and so he called it she who must be (laughs) obeyed.
0: What's the use of living a thousand years if you're going on being cruel and selfish? Is a thousand years of that any better than seventy
1: But people would change, grow good. Has she grown good? Yes. Did she let John Vinci escape? Would she let you escape
0: if if you loved me? You, you're not tempted as I am. Think of it, never to grow old, never to feel age. I can't give it up. You will live here in this, this tomb. Always young, with her. You will never know her age, no grief.
1: That isn't the kind of love I want.
0: But yes, I mean, if you read the book, you do start to wonder about, well, Holly mm-hmm. is a woman hater. He's a misogynist. Oh, right. Um, and it all stems from him being spurned by this woman who says, I only want you for your money anyway. Do you think I'd actually marry someone who looked like you? <sighs> and he's, a, he's right. a real misogynist, admittedly. Yeah. It's yeah. open in the book. It's not a subtext at all. <laughs> Of course, Haggard wasn't uh, a misogynist. Uh, certainly, I mean, he was a Victorian, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Although he was very, quite a liberal one. I mean, mm. uh, that, that's one thing. Having his time in Africa, he was, for the time,
1: mm.
0: um, quite sympathetic to Africans and, and so the native side of things. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, I say for the time, yeah. Because obviously he still was a superior
1: he was an imperialist basically. exactly he, he was yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: but but for the time he was mm. quite sympathetic and he had good um, African characters who mm. you know worth and merit <laughs> yeah. you know but, but the whole female side of it yeah. and the sort of um the psychoanalytical side of it, there's a lot to she yeah. if you want to get into that.
1: Well I think Jung actually singled out She as a book yeah. which he said was quite a pure version of unconscious material coming out and being laid bare on the Right,
0: page. right, yeah. But
1: I think even though you could if you look at just if you just look at She, the character, you could say it's quite misogynistic. Yeah. But because you've got Tanya there, I think she it's like saying she is the unrealistic dream of the super beautiful, powerful woman. And if you follow that, you're going to die. But Tanya sort of offers the, um, the more human, more normal version mm. where you age and she's, you know, she's not a super powerful queen, she's just a normal person.
0: Well, of course, that, that takes us to the end of the film. Yeah. Where <laughs> but you don't see anything of the journey back. Uh, after she has died, you cut to the living room where Leo, Tanya and Holly are living yeah. as a uh, uh, happy threesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Tanya and Holly are uh, yeah. married or engaged or whatever. I mean, it very nicely comes from the flames to the, the fire yeah, of the living t- Room. Yeah, and what did she say? What did she say? The I truth of yeah, the flame of life is actually in the heart. Basically, yeah, you know, the, it's love. It's love is what the actual thing is. I mean, it's a bit of a schmaltzy moment, but there's truth in it. So, yeah, she she's all that, as you say, but she... Do you know, I said uh, Bilali reminds me slightly of Tommy Cooper. <laughs> she reminded me slightly of Margaret Thatcher. I <laughs> she had quite a lot of... I just... She kept popping into my mind <laughs> the way... You know, she ruled exactly the same way. Instead of the Armahagger, you had minors. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, have you got anything else to add about the film? I think when I think, I mean, we've gone from beginning to end, it's... Uh,
1: yeah. Did you enjoy it?
0: So yeah, I know, did. It's an old film, of yeah. course. It's not... There, there are things that are dated about yeah.
1: it. I mean, I did see that apparently it was listed in some 50... List of 50 of the worst films you'll ever see. Which really? so I really thought was unfair. I think if you come to it only ever seen, having seen modern films, you'll probably go... Yeah, well, know, and there's really people like
0: who it. say, well, I'm never going to watch a black and white film. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. their, I mean, what a loss as well. So much quality stuff. I can't believe that. Um, mm. I mean... I think there are bits where it dips. Yeah. Especially when she, some of her speeches, and it's the same yeah. in the book, to be honest. You know, they go on a bit. They're, they're philosophical more than sort of adding much to mm. the plot. I mean, it's still fine. And actually, there's some quite interesting things to mm. think about from it. It does slow the film down a bit, I think. But yeah. that's of its time. But I think the overall impression, I mean, it, it's it's got some of the best design and set pieces mm. of any film, even up to now in some ways, or... I mean I particularly like that art deco style anyway, but yeah. it's it's very i mean it's very beautiful even now, yeah. of course it is yeah. maybe even more so yeah um um, so the design's amazing the that choreography's amazing, the storyline's good mm. um, it's got that lost world element i mean obviously I'm biased so <laughs> uh, but but yeah it is no way a contender for worst.
1: No, um, no, I I mean, I, I must say, I didn't hugely like some of the acting, mm. but I do really like the story. Yeah. And just the ideas it brings up. It's so, so, I mean, one of the things it maybe wasn't as successful compared to King Kong is because it was ideas more than action, but I quite like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, She is something I've not reread. Mm. Um, I read it once, and I listened to the audiobook once, but it's not like, say, Alan Quartermain... Yeah. which I've read twice and oh, would happily right. read again. Yeah. And even King Solomon's Mines, I'd read... I've only read it once, actually, but I would... I, I could see myself reading that again, maybe, although there's too many books to read. So, <laughs> But she, I wouldn't necessarily read again, although I really love the story. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's
1: just like, I mean, another thing that links it to, as I said, those classic things like Dracula and... Um, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Whereas they become sort of myths because in their yeah. original version they're not quite perfect. Yeah. So they're always having to be redone. Yes. And each one's good. You basically like the story that underlies all of them. Mm. So you can have any version as your favourite. Yeah. It's just a good story. That's
0: a good point. Uh, she. I, mean, I used to belong to the Rider Haggard Society, and through them I got them on video. They're in the attic, I think. I've got. Some of the silent versions. I've got the 1911, but the first one was in, was Georges Mellier he did a 19. Oh, uh, 1897 or something, French, obviously, yeah. uh, colon de feu or something, a column of fire. Mm. Um, that was terrible French pronunciation. <laughs> I'm not sure I got that right. It is column of fire. And then I think there was a 1908 version. There may have been a 1906, 1908, and then there's 1911, which I've got and seen. There were, there are a it was couple of in others. 20s wasn't it? Yeah, there, 1918. Yeah. There was a big one in the 20s, 25, I think, with Betty Blythe as she. Mm. That's quite good. But they're not as good as the 1935 version, which mm. was the first sound version of the film. Hmm. And I I think the Hammer version, although it's entertaining, isn't as good as the 1935 uh-huh. version either, I don't think. Yeah. And there have been other versions as well, and there's been films that are inspired by it. And, and the same with books. There's there's a whole slew of She... Well,
1: Haggard wrote sequels to it, didn't well, he? Well, he wrote
0: actual sequels, yes. Yeah. And Hammer filmed a sequel as well, The Vengeance of She, yes, which yeah. is... I've got that on video I think it's terrible (laughs) oh god I may even have it on DVD that would be even worse that means I bought it more recently (laughs) (laughs) when I say recently probably the last 20 years for
1: completest reasons yes
0: well no I was very curious to see it I mean I I was a massive Hammer fan well I still am some to be. although I really got into it in my sort of early 20s Stay up at three in the morning. Yes. <laughs> Did our timer not work or something? Anyway, I, I I stay up. I don't know. I set my alarm and get up because they show there's a time they're showing Hammer films at three in the morning. Is
1: it because you wanted to edit out the adverts? I'm sure I started recording, and went back to bed. Anyway, mm-hmm. doesn't no, right. matter. Um,
0: but yeah, I wanted to see that. And and Haggard wrote. He did an Alan Quartermain and she. Yeah. So his his hero Alan Quartermain got to meet she. He did um, Vengeance of She. The well,
1: World's Desire. I was going to say World's
0: yeah. so, Desire. Is that a she? Y-
1: yeah, I only know the title, but um. yeah.
0: Anyway, yeah, he he milked it if you like. <laughs> um, did quite a few, but. None of them are as memorable as the original. Yeah. So, yes, So Yes. Have we, have we, yes. Have we completed with She? That's, that's good. That was, uh, I really enjoyed that one. Um, so, uh, we've gone on quite a bit. So, I'll we'll just quickly say thank you very much for listening to this. And that's number nine. Number ten is going to be The Golden Voyager Sinbad from 1974. Will be our last film but we are going to do uh, another podcast as yeah. a sort of general overview yeah. where we'll, we'll, we'll sort of, you know, what we've learnt about yeah. these ten films and also probably discuss a few other yeah. things about adventure stories and things as well so uh, i quite looking forward to that um, so thank you very much and we'll see you at the next one Bye <laughs>